You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Well, good morning. Well, we are continuing on in our series from the manger to the throne. So if you have a Bible with you, if you will make your way to the gospel according to Luke. Gospel according to Luke. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 39 through 56 together. In his book... The Quest for Godliness, the late theologian and author J.I. Packer, he gave the following exhortation that I think we would be wise to heed. This is what he said. It's going to be up on the screen. We must never let our Sundays become mere routine engagements. In that attitude of mind, we shall trifle them away by humdrum formality. Every Sunday is meant to be a great day, and we should approach it expectantly in full awareness of this. In light of that quote, I want to begin this morning with this question. How would you describe your experience Of Sunday mornings. Have Sunday's mornings, in the words of J.I. Packer, become a mere routine engagement? Are they often trifled away with humdrum formality? If you were honest, is coming to church to you like eating your vegetables when you were a kid? Remember, mom and dad says, you got to eat those. They will make you a strong, healthy person one day when you get older. Is that how you see church? Well, I come because it's kind of like eating broccoli. It's going to make me a healthier, stronger Christian, but it's not a lot of fun. Listen, at times, we can all struggle to approach Sundays like it is a great day. And often on Sunday mornings, we don't wake up with great expectancy. And church, that's why we need regular reminders from God's Word addressing us on the topic of corporate worship. You see, without fresh inspiration and regular encouragement from Holy Scripture, we will not. We will not experience the joy of gathering with God's people on Sunday mornings. So guess what? In the Lord's kindness, he has brought us to Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. And this text is meant to stir our hearts by showing us how God has set aside times for his people to worship him together. And each one of those days that he gives us is a gift, and it's for our joy. That's what this text is about this morning. The title of our message is the coming of Christ and corporate worship. 
So if you have a Bible with you and open, I invite you to follow along as I read God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. We're going to begin reading in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. May God bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our text this morning, if you're taking notes, can really be divided into two parts. I think this is pretty easy to see. We, in verses 39 through 45, we see the joy of gathering with God's people. And in verses 49 through 56, we see the joy of magnifying God with his people. Let's begin by looking at verses 39 through 45 again. And, and let's, let's think about the joy of gathering with God's people people. Now pay a careful attention to what's happening at this point in the narrative. It's, it's easy just to read through the, these passages, especially if we have familiarity with them, which if you grew up in, in the church, grew up reading these stories it, at this time of the year, it's easy just to move through it really quickly. But, but pay careful attention to what just happened at this point in the narrative. So far, we have read about, outside of the preface, which was chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, so far, all we've heard about in Luke's gospel are two separate birth announcements. We've heard about the birth announcement given by the angel Gabriel to Zechariah and Elizabeth regarding their son named John, chapter 5, 
are, are verses 5 through 25 of chapter 1. And then as we heard last week, we heard about the birth announcement by the angel Gabriel to Mary about the birth of her son Jesus in verses 26 through 38. Now why do I draw attention to those two things? Because that's all we've heard so far. But today, in verses 39 through 45, these two stories, like two rivers, converge. And they come together. You see, what occurred when Mary and Elizabeth came together at the house of Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, this, this is a climactic moment. This is a huge moment. We, we aren't to miss this. We've heard about these two birth announcements. We've heard about John. We've heard about Jesus. And now in this moment, we, we come to this climactic point in the story. And this moment deserves our careful consideration. Look again at verses 39 through 40, what we're told happened. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now let's not just assume, especially if you haven't been here or you're not as familiar with these stories, that we understand what's taking place. So let's look back to last week because there's a huge question. Why does Mary go and visit Elizabeth? Why, why does she, with haste, go and travel this long distance to visit this woman named Elizabeth. Go back to, verse, to chapter 1, verse 26. This is what we saw last week. We're told in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will, shall be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See, when Luke informs us in verse 39 that Mary arose and that she went with haste to the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth, he's essentially highlighting her faith in God and her obedience to his word. He's not just giving us some background information. He's not just telling us that, you know, how long it took her, how many weeks passed. He's telling us this. Once she heard that, she, she was compelled to go. 
Once she heard about this announcement to her and this announcement about what had taken place in Elizabeth, she picks up and she goes. And this is highlighting, Luke, Luke draws attention to this to highlight her faith in God. Now we're told by Luke that she did not wait long before she went to see Elizabeth. And we must understand this, this journey she went on. It was an arduous journey. That we're not told the exact town Zachariah and Elizabeth lived in. Because he was a priest, we could assume it was within a close proximity of Jerusalem. From Nazareth to Jerusalem or a surrounding town would have been 70 to 100 miles. This was a long trip. Now details about how she got there and details about who she went with. We're just not told that. But the most important detail about this meeting between Mary and Elizabeth has been recorded for us. Look, look, look what Luke tells us in verses 4, 40 and 41. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when, what Mary said to Elizabeth when she greeted her, it's not recorded in Scripture. We don't know exactly what she said. But what is recorded is the response of both John and Elizabeth. And we're told the baby boy in Elizabeth's womb, he, he leapt when he heard his mother being greeted by Mary. All of a sudden, Mary walks in, and we're not told what she said, but when he heard this greeting to his mother, this baby in her womb leapt. And we're told upon hearing this greeting, Mary at that moment was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see what's happening here? Mary's presence that day created a dramatic response of worship. Not worship to her. But this was a moment of worship. Why do I say that? Why, why was this a moment of worship? Well, there are two reasons. First of all, don't forget that Mary and Elizabeth aren't the main characters of this story. John and Jesus are. That's what we need to keep our eyes on. It's not what happened between Mary and Elizabeth that's most important. It's what these two ladies represent. See, these two women are simply couriers of God's grace to the world. That's what they are. You know what a courier is? They take something from one person and they take it to another person on their behalf. That's what these ladies are. They're couriers of God's grace to the world. Elizabeth would give birth to the forerunner of the Messiah. And Mary would give birth to the Messiah. Let, let's just say this meeting between Mary and Elizabeth, it was a holy moment. We must not miss that. This was a holy moment. This wasn't just two ladies that haven't seen each other in a long time. And they have really incredible stories of how they got pregnant. And, and they're getting together over tea or brunch. This isn't a baby shower. This isn't a gender reveal party. That's not why they're jumping up and down. That's not why there's excitement. It, this is a holy moment. That's what's happening here. A holy moment has occurred. Jesus and John, listen... We're encountering one another for the first time. 
Jesus and John were encountering one another first, for the first time. Why else would John have leapt in his mother's womb? Because he's encountering the one he's called to testify to the world about. I love it already. Before he even is born, he's proving to be the forerunner of Jesus. <laughs> already, John is pointing people to Jesus. But here's the second reason. That the response of John and Elizabeth is actually an act of worship. Elizabeth, we are told, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she loudly proclaimed what she does here in verses 42 through 45. That's important to remember. All these words she speaks, they're because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember who else was filled with the Holy Spirit even from the womb? Verse 15, John was. Do you know what this means? John and Elizabeth. That day, we're, we're responding with excitement because they were in the presence of the one whom the Holy Spirit loves to draw attention to and make much of. That's why as soon as Mary walked in, if John already had the Holy Spirit in him, and Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit then the Spirit of God, as we're told in Scripture, loves to make much of Jesus. And here is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God incarnate. And Mary walks in, and there is an explosion of joy. John leaps for joy, and don't miss this, Elizabeth loudly proclaims blessing over Mary. This is a moment of worship. This is a moment of, of joy. And notice what Elizabeth says in her blessing to Mary. Let me read verses 42 through 44 again. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Did you hear what Mary or Elizabeth just said to Mary? All of a sudden, this greeting comes. And she says to Mary, I am humbled that I get to be a part of this moment. I cannot believe I get to be a part. And Mary, how blessed are you that you get to be a part? Can you believe this? Us. I get to be a part of this. You get to be a part of this. Not because of what we've done, but because God has shown his grace to us. And then she says this final thing about Mary in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There's that word fulfillment again. If you remember back to week one, in the preface of this gospel, John tells us why he wrote this 
gospel. It's that we would have certainty. Certainty in what? That God had fulfilled all of his promises to his people through Jesus Christ. We're going to continue to hear about this fulfillment. But there's one other thing I want to draw attention to in verse 45. We must be careful not to read too much into Elizabeth's blessing in what she says of Mary. She doesn't bless Mary because she says, Mary, you believed and therefore you were blessed. No, it was the other way around. It wasn't that Mary believed God and God said, oh, you believe? Well, here's, here's a gift. No, the Lord in his grace said, Mary, you are going to be the mother of the long-expected Savior. And Mary believed God. And she trusted in God's word. Now, don't miss what happened next. Elizabeth isn't the only one to speak. No, something else occurred in that moment. Look at verse 47. And Mary said... So Elizabeth, in that moment, she is filled with the Holy Spirit. She loudly cries out this blessing. And when she's done, it's Mary's turn. They're both just amazed and, and, and singing praises and speaking greatly of the Lord. Now, I'm, I must confess that over the years, I have not given sufficient attention to the connection between what just happened between Mary and Elizabeth and what occurs in verses 47 through 56. But when we put these stories together, we see that both of these women are worshiping the Lord in the presence of one another. And by doing so, their joy in God is increased. Both of them had received this message from the angel. But in this moment, all of a sudden, there is this time for them to now rejoice together. Elizabeth said, can you believe what God is doing and how he's using us? And when she's done, Elizabeth, it's Mary's turn. She says, oh, my soul magnifies the Lord. Listen, church, this is why we must not allow Sundays to become a mere routine arrangement. Because when we gather, we get to experience joy together. A joy we don't get to experience on our own. God has been good to us. Our devotional times alone are a wonderful means of grace. But it does not replace what happens when we come together and we sing together, and we hear testimonies of what God is doing, and we have fellowship with one another, and, and we hear the preaching of God's word together. And that's what these ladies are experiencing. I love what J.C. Ryle, who you've already heard us quote me, or heard me quote a number of times, his devotional we are recommending if you want to go through a great book through the Gospel of Luke. And this is what he says about this passage. He says, without this visit, Elizabeth might never have been filled with the Holy Ghost, as we're told that she was. And Mary might not have ever uttered the song of praise, which is known all over the church of Christ. 
And he says this, we should always regard communion with other believers as an eminent means of grace. It's a refreshing break in our journey along the narrow way to exchange experience with our fellow travelers. It helps us insens insensibly and it helps them and so there is mutual gain. And he closes with this line. It is the nearest approach that we can make on earth to the joy of heaven. Is that how you view Sunday mornings? We've all, Monday through Saturday, been on our path following the Lord. And on Sunday mornings, we all come in a bunch of weary travelers. And we get to experience the closest thing to heaven when we gather together. That's what it means to gather together as God's people. See, gathering together to worship God increases our joy in the Lord. Actually, this theme of joy and the experience God's people have of, of joy together when they worship with other disciples, this is actually a major theme of Luke's gospel. You could say that Luke is the gospel of joy. Joy appears not only in the, in the first two chapters in the birth announcements. You're going to hear more talk of joy in Luke's gospel than you would find in all the other gospel accounts. And notice not only how this gospel begins, but notice how it ends. Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53 it ends in a similar manner. We read in Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. And when Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried in to heaven. And they worshiped him. And returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continually in the temple blessing God. There's an experience of joy at his first coming when he enters into the world. And we're told by Luke there was joy as they watch him leave the world. He came into the world with joy. He leaves the world with joy. And his people are marked by this joy. Now, I can only imagine that there may be some who are hearing all of this and thinking, Josh, if gathering with God's people to worship is meant to increase my joy, why do I often leave Sunday mornings without joy? That sounds all well and good, but that hasn't been my experience. Why is that? Well, the answer to that question may be found in Mary's song and her example of what it means to magnify the Lord. So let us now look at the second half of this passage this morning. The joy of magnifying God with his people, verses 46 through 56. Let me just read verses 46 and 47 to begin. 
And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary's song highlights who God is and what He has done for His people both individually and corporately. What what we're going to see in Mary's song is what God has done not only for her as an individual, but what God has done for His people. See, Mary's song teaches us how to magnify the Lord and in turn increase our joy in the Lord. Look, Look again at verses 47 through 49. In these verses, Mary magnifies the Lord as her Savior, who's been shown grace, And we're told he did all of this for the sake of his name. Let me read verses 47 through 49. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Do you see what Mary just did? Before she moves any, for anywhere to talk about anything else or what God has done with anyone else, she, she just starts with herself. Here's what I have experienced. I have been the recipient of God's grace. And she magnifies the, the name of God. She makes much of. That's what it means to man. She makes much of what God has done for her. To make much of his name. See Mary rejoiced in what the Lord had done for her. But then in verses 50 through 56. Notice what she does. She now magnifies the Lord by rejoicing in all that he's done for his people. So she starts with herself. And then she moves To talk about what God has done for his people. And what has he done? Verses 50 through 55. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. In both of these sections, in this song of praise by Mary, she highlights how God exalts the lowly, He helps the needy, the hungry, and the humble, and he humbles the proud. That's how she frames her story and the story of redemption. And and Mary postures herself as a humble recipient of God's grace. Why do I say that? Because listen to what she says in verse 47 and 48. This is what she says about God. She calls him Satan. She's not Mary the intercessor. She needs a savior. She's not Mary who should be worshipped. She says, I am a servant. It's the same word from last week that means slave. 
There's not a lower word in that culture that she could refer to herself in that. There's nothing impressive about me. Nothing deserving of what I have received from God. What we discover in this song of praise from Mary, it's really a foundational component of, 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 of what it what must be present if we want to magnify God. So if we're called to magnify God, what, what is a fundamental component that must be there? Here it is, humility. We want to magnify God, there must be humility. So here's a takeaway for this morning. If you want to magnify God and increase your joy in God, you must come before God humbly. You and I must come before God Humbly, if we want to magnify Him and we want to experience joy in Him. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Do you hear even in that psalm, the psalmist says, I want to boast in the Lord. Guess what? You cannot boast in God if you are proud. We cannot magnify God if we think highly of our Self. So let me ask you this question. What difference would it make if every Sunday you and I came to church clothed in humility? What if we came to church desperate and needy? Not just because our circumstances are, are rough, but because we really understand, like Mary did, who we really are. What if we got up on Sunday mornings and as we made our way here, we were fully aware of the grace of God to undeserving sinners like us? What difference would it make if instead of showing up to church, elevating our interests and our preferences, we showed up believing that we have been recipients of God's favor and we have received so much mercy from the Lord and therefore we want to make much of Him. What if that's the way we came? Not elevating our preferences. I really don't like those songs. Sometimes the preaching is too long. What if we walked in we said, oh man, I cannot believe that God saved me and that I get to be with his people. God, you are so kind. Oh, God, you have shown me so much favor. How great are you? What, what difference would that make if we walked in every Sunday morning not not worrying about ourselves, but seeking to magnify the, the Lord. I, I will tell you what a difference it would make. You will experience great joy. But can I say this? 
to care for you. If you are one that says, yeah, I don't experience joy when I come in on Sunday mornings. Can, can I just encourage you? You may need to evaluate that you are not coming in humbly. Because when we realize who God is and who we are and what God has received us, how can we not have joy? How can there not be thanksgiving? How can we not every Sunday, though we sing every Sunday, though we hear the sermon, sermons every Sunday, how can we not every Sunday be amazed that God has saved us? It never gets old. So every Sunday we should walk in with amazement. Friends, if you're currently struggling to find joy on Sunday mornings, let me just encourage you to stop and consider what your aim is in coming to church. Are you self-focused? Or are you coming to make much of the Lord? Ask yourself that. I must ask myself, what, what am I here for? And here's another thing. Are you participating in singing praises to God with your whole heart? Or are you reserved in your expressiveness because you're too worried about what other people might think of you? Or maybe you say, Josh, I don't want to be hypocritical. I can't praise God if I don't feel joy. Can I tell you something I've learned over the years? If we wait and sing when we have joy, we're missing one of the ways God gives us joy. Sing and you will get joy. I often don't feel a lot of things. And if I relate to everyone and my family, to God, according to how I feel, I'm not going to do a very good job. We must not come on Sunday mornings concerned with how we feel. We must come and say, oh, Lord, you are worthy of grace. And, and guess what? The more we sing, the more we will realize joy is rising in our hearts. And maybe one of the reasons you're not experiencing joy is because you're so concerned. What, what would other people think about me? If they hear me sing or if I lift my hands. Not to say we must lift our hands, but my question is if the scripture says, lift your hands, shout for joy, and yet we never do it, why? Is it because the Lord's not worthy? And we say, well, that's not really my style. I don't know what people will think. Well, they think I'm kooky. Brothers and sisters, it's only when we humble ourselves before God that we will experience great joy in worship. Now, as I'm bringing this message to a close, I, I am aware there is still so much, so much that could be said about Mary's song of praise. Things like the fact that she alludes to many Old Testament themes and passages, including if you're familiar with this, that, that Mary's song reflects Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. There are so many things we could unpack and we could say, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to restrain myself and not say any more about Mary's song. Instead, I want to close by panning out. And I want us to consider the entire narrative one last time. And I want to bring one final point of application. And this is another one of those central themes in Luke's gospel. Let me put it like this. If you want to magnify God and bring glory to Christ, you need the help of the Holy Spirit.
See, John leapt for joy because he had the Spirit. Elizabeth opened up her mouth and praised God. Not simply because she was having a baby and it was a miracle. How cool is that? Or Mary, can you believe you're having a baby? How cool is that? She opened up her mouth because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. What we're doing on Sunday mornings is not simply some natural experience. It is a supernatural experience. If, if God is spirit and we are called to worship him in spirit, then we need the help of the Holy Spirit to empower us and to fill us. Now Luke understood the important role of the Holy Spirit that it plays in the life of a Christian. Both in this gospel and in volume 2, which is called Acts, Luke makes more mention of the Holy Spirit and the role the Spirit of God plays probably than anyone else in the New Testament. He draws attention to it time and time and time again. And it makes you wonder, did Luke pick up this emphasis on the Holy Spirit from his travel companion and ministry leader, the Apostle Paul? That's who he traveled with. Study the book of Acts. He went around with the Apostle Paul. And let's listen to two places in the letters of Paul. Of many places we can look at that draw attention to the important role the Holy Spirit plays. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And get this. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. No one. We need the Spirit's help. We can't just read Luke thinking, okay, all I, the, the reason I, I, I haven't believed in Jesus as Savior is because, well, I just haven't had enough evidence. God in His kindness has given us much evidence in Scripture. Thank God for that. And God uses that. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit must do a work in our hearts. Or what about what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5? Because if we've put our faith in Jesus and we do call Him Lord, that's evidence that we have the Spirit of God in us. Are we just now to come on Sunday mornings and sit back? No, listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and forever to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How can we do any of those things? We must be filled with the Spirit. So here's a question for you. Do you come on Sunday mornings dependent on the Spirit? As you're getting ready to come on Sunday mornings, are, are you coming with an awareness, I cannot do anything on my own to prepare myself to encounter God, to engage God, to grow in my knowledge of God without God's help? God help. 
How often is that part of our Sunday morning preparation? What difference would it make? As we're getting ready, as we're driving in the car, as we're sitting down for breakfast, if before we walk in these doors, we say, Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. Give me the Holy Spirit. Help me. Give me ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that would believe. Help me to worship you in spirit and in truth. So how can we be filled with the Spirit? Well, Luke, as I said, is one who has written much about the Holy Spirit. And this is what he tells us in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. And this is how I want to close. As Luke tells us about the Lord's Prayer, it's also recorded in Matthew's Gospel. He includes this, which Matthew doesn't include. He ends, as Matthew shares with us, when Jesus compared how he how the God the Father is not like human earthly fathers. Even the best father on the planet is evil compared to God. And he writes this. Luke chapter 11 verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When's the last time you've asked for the Holy Spirit to help you? Not just in life, but on Sunday mornings. What difference would it make if we took time asking God to fill us with the Spirit? We prayed for our church service that God would fill His people with the Spirit. You prayed for the leaders that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that everybody would come ready to magnify the Lord. What difference would I believe it would make all the difference in the world. So church, I want to close by praying in light of Luke eleven thirteen, And I want to ask you now to bow your head and I want to pray that God would make, a, make us a congregation that is filled with the Spirit. Lord, we... We're created to magnify you. And in our fallenness, Lord, we magnify ourselves, but you redeemed us through Christ so that we not only would have a relationship with you, but we could do what we were created to do, and that's make much of you and to magnify you and to worship you. But Lord, we, we cannot do that in our own strength. We need your help. Lord, I pray that LifeGate Church would be a place that is filled with the Spirit. Make us a people who are dependent and desperate for your help when we gather together because we know how important this time is. And the Lord, we come in tired, we come in weary, we come in distracted, we come in with so many things that make it hard for us to do what we want to do and what we long to do. So, Lord, would you make us a people who come in humble, desperate, and dependent. And then, Lord, may we make much of you, not only when we gather, but when we scatter and we go into our homes and into our community. 
May we be your people who continue to magnify you in this world. Oh, Lord, we ask for your help. Thank you for drawing our attention to this text this morning and to the truths of this text. Lord, though there are things we can do, there are points of application, Lord, none of this can happen by merely us seeking to apply or obey. Lord, we we know first and foremost we need your help. Help us, Lord. We thank you for this time. May you be, continue to be magnified now as we turn our attention to communion. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.